You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. We are finishing off uh, 1 Thessalonians, so I'm at verse 12 of chapter 5. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in your highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but, that, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As I said before, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at DPC. It's great to be back. Uh, I just want to remind kids and parents that I put together a special sermon sheet today. There'll be answers coming during the sermon so you can fill it in. Grown-ups, if that's your thing too, you can grab a copy as well. There's heaps up the back there. And I do encourage the kids to sit with their parents so that their parents can help them uh, with that. Uh, So kids, I'll let you know when an answer is coming up for that sheet. Uh, We come to the end of 1 Thessalonians today. Thanks to the other preachers who have opened up this letter for us. Uh, So that's Trav Waterhouse and Adam Foster back in June and July, a while ago, last school holidays. And then more recently, Tim Shealy, Stuart Williamson and Sam Hanna. Uh, It's been wonderful to think through this letter. Next week, we're going to be getting back into Ephesians and thinking through that book and also working through that in our gospel communities. I put together a resource sheet if you'd like to get the most out of Ephesians. There's some different resources you might like to tap into to help with your kind of regular Bible reading and so that you can be thinking through Ephesians all week long, not just on a Sunday or at GC. So there'll be copies of these at the back of the Welcome Hub. Also, GC leaders will be sending around digital copies in the coming weeks. Great. That's enough about all the exciting things I've put together. Let's actually hear from God as we work through his word through the last part of 1 Thessalonians. It'd be great if you have your Bibles open. Uh, The Bible passage is online on the welcome card and also there's a sermon outline if that would be helpful for you. Let's pray and I ask that God would speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day when we can gather together as your people and hear from you. We pray that you would speak to us, you would help us to listen well and that you would grow us in our trust in Christ. Amen. Put your hand up if you've ever eaten leftovers. Come on, I think you've all eaten leftovers, right? Now keep your hand up if you enjoy eating leftovers. Oh good, most of you, that's good. 
Uh, last Sunday we had leftovers at our house. We'd been out all day and so when we got home we didn't want to cook anything. So there was like a sausage roll, some bolognese sauce, a couple of chicken pies. We heated it all up and the kids got to pick what they wanted to eat. We enjoyed some leftovers. It's great when you get to the end of the week and you don't have time or money left and so you just enjoy the bits of the good meals that you've had throughout the week. As we read through 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 28, it can feel a bit like we're being served leftovers. Paul, Silas and Timothy, they've written their letter but here at the end it just seems to be a jumble of different ideas all mixed together. There are some instructions, some encouragements, a prayer and a blessing. You can almost imagine them sitting there writing it all down and Silas says, oh Paul, don't forget to mention something about leaders. And Timothy says, well, we better remind them to be patient with each other. And Paul's like, thanks guys, those are great ideas. And I might add in something about the Holy Spirit too. There are so many wonderful truths and practical points in these verses, but it can be a little bit tricky to see how they fit together. We may feel that we are indeed being offered up leftovers. And can I just say that the heading on the NIV that the editors have put in there doesn't really help final instructions. In other words, here are the last bits we just want to shove in at the final moment. But I have a different theory. I reckon that this is a practical guide on how to apply what Paul and his friends have taught across this letter. We've seen each week how the themes of faith, love and hope give shape to this New Testament book. The Thessalonians had faith in what Jesus had done for them in the past, how he had lived and died and risen again for them. Then they were showing love in the present in the way that they treated one another as they lived together as God's people. And then if they had hope in the future as they looked to the return of Jesus which helped them to deal with the strife and the grief that they faced in their day-to-day lives. They were living in light of the Gospel the good news about Jesus. And this was growing them in holiness as they became more like Jesus and less like the world around them. This final passage is therefore an encouragement on how they can keep growing in their faith, in their love and in their hope. And at the core is having a right mindset as a community of believers. Because you see, it's not just an individual task that we do on our own. They needed to have a right attitude towards their leaders, towards each other and towards God. Therefore, these verses are not an afterthought or a bunch of offcuts and leftovers from other letters or sermons. Rather, these verses are the culmination of the letter and they give practical guidance on how to put this letter into practice. And so, of course, this passage is relevant for us too. I want to show you today that our church will grow together in faith, love and hope when we each have a right attitude towards our leaders, towards each other and towards God. As we move through these verses, I hope that you will see that when we get our thinking straight and our posture towards others sorted out, then our efforts in growing together will go a lot better. Before we jump in though, I do want to say that we don't have time to give equal weight to each of these three areas and so in praying about it in the last week, what I thought God wanted you to hear, I'm leaning more towards the first one and two points. Uh, 
we will kind of skip over the third point, the attitude about God, which might sound a bit scandalous to say in a church, we're going to skip over the bit about God, but I've got a plan for that and I'll share that with you later. Let's jump into our first main point. We grow through a right attitude towards our leaders. Let's see if the slides work as well. There we go. So, have a look in your Bibles at verses 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. The first thing that Paul commands is that, the, uh, that Christians should acknowledge their leaders. This is about identifying leaders and treating them accordingly. So it's not about looking uh, out for someone's job title, like you know, elder or pastor, but looking out for certain activities. You can see in verse 12 that there are three activities that are listed that church leaders do. They work hard among the believers, they care for the believers and they admonish the believers. So first, church leaders are to work hard. Back in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul commended the Thessalonians for their labour in love. It's the same word here. Leaders are those who especially work hard or labour in love. They toil in the work of ministry. And it's done within the people of God. And so a leader is to be acknowledged by a specific church if the leader is labouring in the midst of that specific church. The second activity that a church leader does is care for people in the Lord. It's an interesting phrase. If you've got an ESV Bible, you'll read that it says those who are over you in the Lord. So over you, caring for you in the Lord. It shows that what's in mind here is that someone who has a responsibility to care for others. In the ancient world, this meant someone who was like a benefactor or a patron. It was to give protection and support for those under your care. And the responsibility is described here as being in the Lord. In other words, this is Christian leadership. It's done in the context of Christ's people and it's to be done in a Christ-like way. And then the third activity of a church leader is to admonish their fellow believers. This is about correcting falsehood, wrong behaviour, pointing people in the right direction. This shows a care for the lives of others by wanting to seek their good and their growth in holiness. Paul, Silas and Timothy are showing us here what we are to look out for in identifying our leaders. And once we do that, we are to acknowledge them as our leaders. So there does seem to be some sort of position or role being described here. These people are working hard and they are over us in some way. Yet again, the emphasis is not on their job title but on their ministry efforts. So this is a challenge for those of us who hold leadership positions at DPC. I'm thinking in particular of the elders, which includes Aaron and I who are pastors, but also Adam Foster and Ken who serve as elders as well. The four of us are the elders of the church and we've been called to lead in this way. You should be able to look to us and see that we are working hard among you, caring for you. But it also applies to Alicia, to Alex, 
to our gospel community leaders, even a certain degree to our GP kids leaders, our ELOS leaders, our youth leaders. So we are all people who have a role of teaching, admonishing and caring for people. And so I'm speaking directly to all of you specifically right now. Commit yourself to this task. And that should be particularly true of the elders, shouldn't it? So Adam and Ken and Aaron, when you listen to this on the podcast, we need to work hard and we need to be praying about this. There's also a lesson in here for anyone who would aspire to be a leader. If you think you've got what it takes to lead, don't push and strive for a position of status and power. Instead, get on with working hard among your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do your best to teach the truth lovingly. And if you serve faithfully, then you will be recognised for your efforts. As we move on to verse 13, Paul asks Christians to have a specific attitude towards their leaders. He says to hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. I mean, how easy it is to be negative about our Christian leaders. When we criticise their sermons or their Bible studies, we mock our leaders when they muck up and in the small ways in which they stumble, we disrespect them, completely ignoring the fact that they work hard among us. This is particularly a trap today since we can now listen to sermons by the world's greatest preachers and so it means we're more likely to look down on our own pastor, our own teachers. I mean, who wouldn't look like a dud preacher compared to John Piper, John MacArthur, Ray Ortland? But as great as these men are, here's the thing. They aren't working hard among you. I hate to break it to you, but they don't even know who you are. Now, I have to be careful here, don't I? Because I'm actually talking about myself. So I know, let's say this is a little bit awkward, right? But it's in God's word and I'm called to preach it and to teach it. So just bear with me. As your pastor, I try to prepare sermons and Bible studies, teaching that's relevant and helpful for you. So do the elders when they teach. You want to work hard at carefully applying the Bible. But we're not always going to succeed at this. We're not always going to be able to compete with other pastors and Bible teachers. We won't always lead as well as you might like. We won't always offer the level of pastoral care you long for. And yes, we're sorry when we fail. We want to keep trying harder. But here's the thing. We are the ones that are here for you. We are the ones that God in his unfathomable wisdom has allowed to minister here. And sometimes you might wonder if God made a mistake. We might wonder that ourselves sometimes too. But please know that we do love you and we really do want to serve you. We want to point you to Christ who is our great, good and perfect shepherd, our perfect pastor. So we're going to commit to working hard and Paul asks that you, that all of us, will commit to holding our leaders in the highest regard in love, whether that's the elders, your gospel community leader, your team leader or even someone who's discipling you. And now kids, I want to make sure you're listening to me now. Okay, so listening up kids. Here's an answer for your sermon sheet, so make sure you've got that handy. Paul's words are for you to listen to as well. In verse 12, he writes about your DP kinder, your DP kids, your ELOS and youth leaders. 
because they work hard to teach you, to care for you and so you can make their job easier by listening to them, doing what they say, showing them respect because that's how you love them. And God will help you to keep growing when you do this. Finally, we are called to live in peace with each other. Now, this could be just a general command, but I believe it's connected to the previous sentences. Because one of the greatest ways that we can be at peace in our church is to be at peace with our leaders. But let me say first, this is not a command to simply forgive and suck it up when leaders abuse you or manipulate you or mistreat you. It's never okay for a leader to misuse their power and it's doubly not okay for a leader to then demand that you respond to that by being at peace with them. The onus is on the leader to be above reproach, to not misuse power. And when we as leaders sin, we need to repent. We're to be peacemakers and seek to make things right when we break relationships or hurt people. We're to work on being good listeners and being approachable. And this will then hopefully create an environment where you as the congregation can seek to be at peace with your leaders. So what might that look like? Well, it might look like not grumbling and gossiping and stirring up dissension. It would mean speaking to the right people who have the authority and responsibility to sort issues out. Also giving the benefit of the doubt, seeking clarity rather than just making assumptions. And sometimes you just need to accept the decision and not complain. This is some pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? But this is God's word and this is how we can actually grow together as a church when we're each doing our bit to bear with one another. And hopefully you can see that when we have a right attitude towards our leaders, it actually helps us to grow in love, faith and hope. It makes us more open to the ministry that we're doing to each other. It makes our leaders' ministry easier because we're all sinners in need of mercy and we can grow together. What's our first point? We now come to our second major point. We also grow as a church when we have a right attitude towards each other. Have a look at verse 14 in your Bible. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. To put it simply, Paul wants us to treat others thoughtfully and according to need. There are three categories of people that are listed here. There's the idle and disruptive, the disheartened and the weak. Each one requires a different approach. Now this verse It's very simple to understand but it takes lots of deep meditation and practice to actually live it out. So I'm going to give a brief outline now and you can go away and think about this, reflect on it some more. Our kids also listen up because there's going to be some answers coming up for your sermon sheet. You can actually look at the screen, there'll be some answers there. First up, the idle and disruptive people. They're the people who have disordered lives. The word that Paul uses here is used elsewhere to describe like a soldier who breaks ranks or someone who doesn't follow the rules of a public institution. 
our Bible translation has got two words to translate that idea because I think it's trying to show the idea in general but also what was specifically happening in Thessalonica. So there were idle people who were not working and because of their idleness, that was causing disruption. They were making a mess of things and making it hard for others. And so ultimately, at the heart of their problem was sin. They needed to be warned. This is the sort of person in our church who's going off track and in particular their sin is causing problems for others. We need to warn them to repent and to get back on track. Perhaps like how the other week Stuart warned us to live in the light and not live in the dark. The second category of people are the disheartened. Sam showed us last week about how members of the Thessalonian church had died and that could have left these questions about what was going to happen to these people. People were feeling upset and disheartened, discouraged. They were facing persecution as a community. And so they didn't need to be warned, did they? They need to be encouraged. This is the sort of person in our church who's finding life a burden. And the Christian walk just feels overwhelming. And so we want to encourage them and remind them of the hope that they have in Christ. And the third category of people are the weak. They're the sick, the suffering, the poor, the needy, the young or elderly, the disabled. They're just struggling with day-to-day life. And so they need practical support. They need our help. Can you see then that Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians and us to consider people individually? You know, what is their need and how can you treat them accordingly, care for them in the way that they require? It's such a simple idea, isn't it? But you need to go away and think about how can you identify those needs in someone's life. And you also need to think about what your default response is. Do you see sin as the cause of all problems and so you're always warning people? A bit like a hammer that sees everyone as a nail that needs to be hit back in place. Or do you offer comfort to everyone? even those who are sinning and making a mess of their lives and probably need a bit of a warning, but instead you're there to comfort them. Perhaps like a box of tissues that sees everyone as a crying eye in need of a box of tissues to wipe away that tear. Or do you offer practical support to people who just really want a listening ear? Perhaps you're like a wheelchair that sees everyone as an amputee who needs a lift. Now let me be clear. We need hammers, we need tissue boxes and we need wheelchairs in the church. But we need to figure out what to use in the right situation. Now, of course, we're not always going to get this right, are we? It requires effort and humility, a bit of trial and error and that's why we're exhorted to be patient with everyone. After calling us to treat others thoughtfully and according to need, we're then given another instruction. Be kind, don't repay wrong for wrong. Have a look at verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Love is about bearing pain and not inflicting it. People will do wrong by us. 
they will hurt us, they will let us down. Paul wants us to respond with love and not retaliation. You might think that sounds pretty hard, particularly when someone does something bad to you. That's why we need to remember the gospel. See, at the heart of the gospel is the idea that you and I don't get what we deserve. In chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes that God's wrath is coming. It's coming because of all the wrong that we've done against God and justice must be served. After all, how can the world be good and whole and peaceful while the scales are unbalanced, while there are wrongs that have been committed that have not been brought to account? We should all get what we deserve. Yet God sent his son Jesus to rescue us. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 9. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us. As Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the wrongs we've committed. And if we receive this good news by faith, then we are rescued. That's the gospel. And it's this gospel that empowers us to follow these commands. Paul, Silas and Timothy have laid out for us in this passage a way to live and it's, and it's hard to do, it's impossible for us to do apart from the help of God, apart from the gospel. The gospel helps us to not repay wrong for wrong. It does this first because God did not repay wrong for wrong to us. And so out of gratitude we should show kindness and mercy to others. Secondly, We've been set free from that human cycle of payback and hurting others when they hurt us. You see, we don't have to worry about our reputation and protect ourselves because God is the one who honours us and lifts up our heads. We don't need to secure justice in this life and make sure that everything is sorted out now because God will balance the scales on the last day. We don't need to adhere to the rules of darkness because God has brought us into the light so that we see clearly. And thirdly, most shockingly, the gospel empowers us to repay wrong with right, to repay evil with good. We've been redeemed. We have a certain hope for the future and so we're free to treat others with kindness. Rather than seeking their harm, we should be seeking their holiness. When we have a right attitude towards each other, We can be kind and we can serve in ways that are helpful for building them up. Did you notice what we read at the start of verse 15? You see, we have a responsibility to ensure that others don't repay wrong for wrong. See, we're called to help one another in this because it's not something that we can really do on our own. We need help. And so again, we're being shown here that living out the commands of this letter is something that we do, not individually, but together as a church. This then brings us to our third and final point, which is about having a right attitude towards God. As I said earlier, this will be a shorter section and I think that's okay, partly because I believe our church generally does a pretty good job at this. Of course, we can grow, but I don't think it needs to be the emphasis for today. The kids, listen up. Here's another answer for your sermon sheet. So listen up, kids. Mums and dads, you can help your kids. 
the first part of getting our attitude right towards God is to respond to God with joy, prayer and thanksgiving. Have a look at verses 16 and 17. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We will find ourselves facing all sorts of situations in life, good and bad, hard and easy. And this is how we are to respond to these situations, recognising that God is sovereign in our daily lives. We are to rejoice on all occasions because we have the gospel. We are to pray continually for wisdom and strength from our Heavenly Father who is always with us. And we are to give thanks each day because God is generous and God is the one who is in control. And so these responses will help us to grow in faith, in love and hope. Now there's a lot more that I could say about this verse and I really don't want to rob you of the blessing of unpacking it. So here's my plan, which I alluded to earlier. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on these two verses later on this year. God willing, it'll be December 31st, that's right, New Year's Eve, special church service, come along, breaking news, that's what's going to be happening that day. So the next aspect of getting our attitude towards God right is about receiving teaching with appreciation and discernment. Have a look at verses 19 to 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Do you remember how in the book of Acts the Holy Spirit is described as coming down like tongues of fire or kind of fire settling on the apostles? And so to quench him would be like putting out a fire. Paul is saying, don't douse the spirit, don't pour water on him, don't impede his work. And now it could be that this is referring to miraculous gifts, charismatic ministries of the spirit. However, I think that verse 20 explains the command by linking it to teaching. This is about being open to receiving teaching given by the spirit of God. As Stuart pointed out to us a couple of weeks ago, this letter is one of the earliest Christian documents. Many of the other books in the New Testament hadn't even been written yet. And so the Thessalonians had to rely on the Old Testament and new teachings that were provided to them by the work of the Holy Spirit. But not all teaching and not all teachers that claimed to be from God were genuine. So therefore this command is about avoiding two extremes when it comes to these prophecies, these messages. The first is, don't show contempt to all new teachings, rather show appreciation. But also don't be sucked in by false teaching, rather show discernment. It's a bit different for us today. The New Testament's been completed. The primary way that the Spirit speaks to us is through the written word. And so if anything, our calling is to test the teaching we hear against what we see in the Bible. That's why I was asking you to look and see what's in your Bible and I'm trying to teach what's there so you can test what I say. When you hear a sermon, you sit in a Bible study and there's a new idea that's raised and it kind of confuses you or troubles you or challenges you, think about these verses. See, don't treat this new teaching with contempt because 
you may very well be quenching the spirit. We might do this when it just doesn't kind of feel right or it seems a bit hard. But see, when we're driven by our feelings, we will quench the spirit. Yet also, we should indeed test what's being presented to us so that we're only holding on to what is good. Show appreciation and discernment. This is how you have a right attitude towards God because he speaks to us through his word. I imagine that hasn't fully satisfied all the questions you have, so please do come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about this more. Well, there you have it. I hope you can see how these verses are not leftovers. Rather, they are a carefully thought out uh, list of instructions to help us grow together in faith, love and hope. If you truly want to uh, grow in these ways, then you need to have a right attitude. It needs to be a right attitude towards your leaders, towards each other and towards God. And so when we have our posture sorted out, when we have our thinking sorted out, we are better able to grow together. And so this will point us back to the Gospel because it reminds us that it's ultimately God who gives us growth. In fact, that's what Paul turns to next in verses 23 and 24. Have a look. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you as faithful and he will do it. We need to put effort in, in the Christian life, in our Christian walk. But God is the one who sanctifies us or makes us holy. He's the one who makes us like Jesus. He transforms us from the inside out. God is the one who keeps us blameless so that we won't fall back under judgement. He is faithful and he will do it. Yet what we learn from Paul here is that even though God will do it, that doesn't stop us from praying that he would do that. In fact, I think we should put this into action right now by saying these verses to one another. There's one person nodding, that's exciting. Okay, we're going to get into this. Right, so kids, I want you involved in this too. I want you listening up, paying attention. We're going to say these words as a blessing to those around us. Now, I know this might feel a bit weird, not very Presbyterian, but trust me, let's, let's give it a go. Do you trust me? Yes, some people trust me. Okay, so first what I want you to do is just discreetly kind of look around the people sitting next to you because they're the ones you're going to say this to. You turn around, look at each other. You don't have to make eye contact if that's too awkward, but just go, okay, this is who's sitting around me. I'm going to think about them as I say these words. Okay, you're doing that? Good. Now, you can look up at the screen and we're going to say these words together as a blessing to one another. Okay, you ready? Okay, here we go. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful blessing of 1 Thessalonians. Thank you for the various people who have opened it up for us to help us understand it over these past sermons. 
Thank you for the reminder of the faith, love and hope that we are to have as your people. We pray that you would strengthen us and grow us and that you would do so in community, that we would do that together as a church so that we might continue to look to what Jesus has done in the past so we'd have faith in him, so that we would love one another together just as Christ would have us do and so that together we would look forward in hope as we face the trials and tribulations of this life knowing that Jesus will one day return. And in all of this we pray that you would grow us in holiness. We know that you are faithful and we know that you will do this. Amen.